Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. This week we're looking at Peter's second sermon in which he explains the healing of the layman by pointing us to Jesus. This Jesus whom you killed did this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made to the patriarchs, the Savior Moses predicted, and the Messiah spoken of by the prophets. Will you listen to him? Will you repent of your sin and turn to him in faith? These questions Pastor Nathan will address in part 7 of his series, Acts, titled, How Did This Happen? Well, it's been a good morning already, hasn't it? Yeah, so great to see you all here today. Uh, If you haven't been with us, we're in a study in which we're walking verse by verse through the book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament, which chronicles the story of the early church. And uh, if you haven't been with us, I think we're in week seven. We're kind of going kind of about a half a chapter each week and walking through this incredible document. And um, let me just give you the one minute recap on where we've been in case you're uh, new with us or you haven't been tracking along. The book of Acts begins with Jesus after his resurrection, and he spends uh, about 40 days with his disciples, teaching them, instructing them, and then he stands on the mountain and tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, and he ascends into heaven, and the disciples head to Jerusalem, and there they're gathered in an upper room. They choose a replacement for Judas. That was the end of chapter 1, and uh, once Judas's uh, replacement is chosen, um, a number of days later, the Holy Spirit descends on the day of Pentecost, and uh, the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that they're speaking in tongues, there's this commotion, and a huge crowd of people gathers around, and they're going, what in the world is going on? And this is where we see Peter step up and preach his very first sermon. Peter stands up, and he says, they are not drunk, as you suppose, and he begins to point everyone to Jesus and explain what's going on. And in his sermon, he actually says, you guys all killed Jesus. Like, not a, not a great way uh, to, to draw a crowd in your message, but that's exactly what he does. And And miraculously, what we found was that the Holy Spirit cut people to the heart and they responded to Peter's message. What must we do to be saved? And uh, 3,000 or more were baptized and added to the church. So it starts with this fledgling group of 120 and it quickly becomes thousands and the church is growing day by day. The people are growing in faith and generosity. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting at the temple to pray. The church is this, this movement that is literally shaking Jerusalem. Everyone's hearing about it. Last week, we turned the page into chapter 3, and we saw Peter and John who are walking to the temple to meet other Christians to pray around 3 in the afternoon. And as they're entering the gate, beautiful, it was a large gate that was the entranceway into the outer courts of the temple. And so they're going through this gate, and for whatever reason, on this occasion, they have this divine intervention where, where the Holy Spirit leads them to look at this man who's sitting there. Uh, now, this man was lame from birth. His legs did not work. So he's sitting or laying uh, by the gate with a, a basket, a can, something, asking for donations, alms. And as he's doing so, Peter looks him right in the eye, heads in his direction. And the man asking for money, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And Peter does something that is so faithful and audacious, something that terrifies me to think about doing. He reaches down and grabs this guy by the arm. And he begins pulling this guy whose legs don't work up. And this guy, seeing the faith of Peter, responding to what he's saying, is trying to stand. Of course, his legs don't work. And miraculously, life come into his legs. 
and he jumps to his feet. Now, you can only imagine the scene that would follow, right? This is where we're going to pick our story up. This guy has never walked a day in his life, and he is now dancing and singing and praising God. He's hanging on to Peter and John. I mean, these, these people just helped him to walk. Absolutely thrilled. So he follows them into the temple. And as people begin to recognize, oh, man, this is the guy that we have passed for decades. He's been there. We watched him grow. And he's been there this whole time. And now we see him walking. How in the world could this possibly happen? So this crowd is beginning to gather. We'll pick it up in verse uh, 11. It says this, while he clung to Peter and John. Big surprise, right? All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them to the portico called Solomon. So there's this crowd just gathering around Peter and John. And notice what it says uh, next in verse 12. When Peter saw it, what did he see? He saw a crowd of people gathering. He addressed the people. Now, Peter sees a crowd of people that are hungry to know what happened. And the title of my message today is simply this, How Did This Happen? And Peter's sermon, this is going to be his second sermon, which, by the way, is very similar to his first sermon. But he's literally going to answer the question, how did this happen? Everyone's there. They want to know, how is it possible that a man who has never walked before in his life is now standing, dancing, jumping, and shouting? They just can't figure it out. Peter's like, I'm going to tell you exactly how this happened. And that's exactly what he's, uh, that's exactly what he's going to do. So, a couple of things you need to know. Here's the first thing. Uh, if we go to our text, it says, Peter saw it. He addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? This guy couldn't walk. Now he can. Everyone's looking at Peter and John going, how did you guys do that? Peter's like, actually... Don't stare at us. It wasn't us that did it. As though by our own power or piety, we made him walk. Here's the the first point of my message. It's simply this. It's not about us. Can we all say it together? It's not about us. Now I want you to turn. If you've got somebody near you, say it's not about you. Okay, I just wanted to be the one to tell you that. Okay. And it's crazy. Um, Peter and John are not. This is remarkable. Peter's not like, yep. I'm the pastor of the church at Maple Grove. Uh, come down on Sunday. Like, he doesn't promote the church. He doesn't take up an offering. He doesn't say, anybody else need to be healed? Come, I have the healing touch. Like, there's, none, there's no arrogance. There's nothing. He, he simply says, this was not me. This was not me. This is not about us. And yet, here's what's so cool. I think it's really important. Yet, even though it's not about us, he says, God works through us. And I just needed to add this because I'm telling you, I'm sure you guys have all heard of cancel culture. Just nod if you have, okay, I know it's like, don't talk about that, Pastor. Okay, I'm not even talking about the cancel culture where you cancel other people because of their flaws. I'm talking right now about sometimes we cancel ourselves. We think to ourselves, oh, God wants to use me. Oh, God can't use me because I'm flawed, because I'm broken, because I'm imperfect, right? I've got issues. Turn to the person beside you and say, I've got issues. Just tell them. Just say, Now, I, w- I want you to notice something. When you told the person beside you, I have issues, were they surprised? <laughs> no, no, they weren't surprised. And, and here's the thing. You need to understand something. That if God could only work through perfect people, he wouldn't be able to work through anybody. Because there's only one perfect person that ever lived, and his name is Jesus. And what we're going to see is Peter and John are like, hey, don't look at us. We're not perfect. We're not all powerful. We are but vessels. We are like empty clay pots through which the power of God has flown into this man. It's about him. Not, don't look at us. Look at him. He flows through us. Do you believe that God would work through your life and in your life? Do you believe that he would touch the people around you? 
bring restoration and healing and forgiveness through you. I think we are so quick to cancel ourselves because we're making it about us. We think it's, it's us. And when we do that, we're actually limiting what God would do through us. If you read through the Bible, you'll discover that God worked through broken, sinful people. That's who he worked through. Think about, think about Moses, right? He, he killed a guy in the heat of anger and then ran away. God's like, I'll use you. David killed his friend and took his wife, his friend's wife. That's like he broke at least three commandments, three of the ten, right? And God somehow used a broken man named David. And he'll, he'll use you and me and he'll work in and through our lives. It's not about us. It's about him. And by the way, the moment we make it about us, God's like, nope, I'm out. Because it's supposed to be about him. So Peter's like, hey, this is not about us. And then he's going to fire into his, he's going to fire up into his sermon and as he does so, he's going to present, first and foremost, bad news. All right? And so let's talk about the bad news first. Um, before we actually show you the bad news, let me frame this for you. Because Peter is speaking in the temple courts. He's speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters. This is important. Peter and John, the early disciples, did not view Judaism and Christianity as two separate things. We do. We're like, there's Judaism and then there's Christianity, those two separate religions. But for Peter and John, uh, Christianity was, was the fulfillment of the Jewish law. It was them following the Jewish Messiah who fulfilled the, the temple and the sacrificial system and the law. And so this was one big... So they're just like, hey, we're just continuing this thing on. And so he, speaking to Jewish people, is going to actually reference their, their, history, their history, their antiquity. And what he's going to do is he's actually going to make a number of statements in his sermon. I'll, I'll touch on them now, and then you'll see them as we read through. He's going to say, hey guys, you remember the patriarchs, the founding fathers of our faith? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And they were like, yes, they, God made them a promise that through them the earth would be blessed, that the seed of Abraham would bless the world. Jesus is the promise that God made to the patriarchs. Then he's going to say, oh, you remember Moses? Oh, we love Moses, the great prophet, the one who delivered us from slavery and gave us the law. Yeah, yeah, there's another prophet coming like Moses who will save you not from Egyptian slavery, but from sin and death and give us a new command and a new law. And oh, you know, your prophets told you that there was a coming Messiah who would set up a kingdom that would last forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is that guy too. So he's actually going to say, hey, everything that you've believed and read about, Jesus fulfills it all. Okay, that's the context for these Jewish listeners. So here's the bad news. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, never would have puffed up their chest. That's our people. That's our God, the God of Abraham. So that God glorified his servant, Jesus. And everyone would be like, oh, wait a minute. And then he continues, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But he says, you denied the Holy Spirit and righteous one, the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And this is where he finishes his first bit of bad news. And you killed the author of life. So they're going, how did this guy get healed? And he's like, well, first of all, let me tell you that God has sent his son. He sent the Messiah, the one we've all been waiting for. And you killed him. It's not how I'd start a sermon. I'll just, I'll just throw that out there. Can you imagine, you know, people, hey, welcome to Pathway Church. You killed Jesus. Come on in. We'll find you a seat. But you, you did. You killed him. We got a welcome package for you here. Inside, there's some wet naps. What's this for? It's to wipe the filth off your hands. You, you killed Jesus. Like, it's literally, he just starts there. He's like, you killed Jesus. And, and the point he makes is simply this, that you 
are, you're guilty. You're guilty. And, and the people are just listening and trying to take all this in. Now, one of the things that's so interesting about what Peter has just said, let me just put this in context because as I read it, did you ever have an argument with a family member and they say something and it's just like that, like it's below the belt, it's that shot when you're just like, ooh, you went there. That's what Peter's doing because he doesn't just say you killed Jesus. He actually brings up Pilate. Now, you have to understand that the Jews were under Roman occupation and it's hard for us to imagine this. So let me help you by thinking about like France in the 1940s. So the Nazi, uh, the Nazi Germany came in and invaded France. And so if you were living in France, you would have been confined. There would have been, um, what do you call that? Like um, curfew and you'd been stuck inside and they would have swastikas everywhere. And the German soldiers are control of everything. And as a, a person living in France, you'd be like, I want these people out of here. I want this occupation to end. They're the bad guys, right? You understand what I'm saying? That's how the Jews felt about Rome. Rome had come in and taken over everything and they had power and exercised it in all kinds of ways. And they wanted to get rid of Rome or the bad guys. That's the point. And what Peter says is he's like, not only did you kill Jesus, but the Roman governor Pilate actually wanted to let Jesus go, but you wouldn't let him. You're worse than the Romans. You can, can you feel that a little differently? It's like he wanted to let him go. In fact, he said, I'll let him go or a murderer named Barabbas. And you were like, we'll take Barabbas, kill Jesus. So Peter doesn't just say you killed him. He's like, you're worse than the Romans. I, the miracle in all this is that they didn't pick up stones and kill Peter right there. <laughs> I, that's the miracle in this whole thing. He says, you killed the author of life. You're guilty. Now, the, statements like this by Peter are, are one of the reasons or can be attributed to some of the anti-Semitism that has arisen through different ages and centuries, right? It's like, oh, the Jews killed Jesus. Well, it's not really quite that simple because, first of all, not every Jewish person that was listening to Peter was actually present and had Jesus killed. And yes, some of the Jews turned on their Messiah and had him killed, but others worshipped him and gave their lives for him, like Peter and the disciples. So it's not all Jews. So, this isn't about group guilt. In fact, what's going to happen is later in the sermon, Peter's actually going to talk about the personal response of repentance and taking responsibility. And we discover that this isn't really, because yes, the Jews had Jesus killed, but the Romans drove the nails into his hands. And what you're going to see in just a moment is that actually it's not just the Jews that are guilty, it's all of us. One of the things that I think is so fascinating is even though Peter is saying, you killed Jesus, here's what Jesus had to say before he went to the cross in John 10. It's for this reason the Father loves me because I, what did I do? I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Jesus not only knew he was about to die, he knew he was going to rise again. And then he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So yes, they cried out, crucify him. But had Jesus not willingly gone to the cross, there was nobody that could take his life. Jesus walked to the cross and laid his life down. And do you know why? Theologically, the reason why he did that was because a sacrifice was required for our sins. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned. That includes everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That even our good works, you go, I'm a good person, I do good things. He says, even that, all of our good works are like filthy rags before him. And so, a sacrifice was required in order to save us from our sins. And Jesus willingly walked to the cross and surrendered his life. And, and so... Peter continues and he says this, he says, you killed the author of life. You wanted him dead. And here's where the good news begins. God raised him from the dead. You killed him. God raised him to this. We are witnesses. 
And again, the question that everyone would be asking would be simply this. How did this happen? How did this happen? How is a man who couldn't walk able to walk? And Peter essentially says, oh, um, you know Jesus, the miracle worker? You've all heard about him, yeah? Healing blind, open blind eyes, healing, walking on water, all that. Yeah, that guy that you killed, he's no longer dead. He's alive. And he's still healing people. This man standing in front of us is proof that Jesus is alive and resurrected. And we are witnesses to it. It's pretty good stuff. And then we're going to continue in verse 16. In verse 16, it says this. And his name by faith in his name. Did you know um, that there's authority in the name of Jesus? Did you know this? Let me explain how this works. If there was a big, uh, big event happening in downtown Peterborough, say crowds of people are all in the downtown core. Um, if the police chief were to walk down the street and say, hey guys, we need a barrier here. We need a car there. I want to stop traffic there. Guess what would happen? People would move. Stuff would happen. Why? Because the police chief has authority. If I walked into the same situation and said, put up a barrier, park that guy, hey, you, officer, move that car over there. They would put me in the back of the car. Because I don't have authority. And the very fact that in the authority of Jesus' name, this man's legs would be made well, proves that Jesus has all authority. That he's alive, that he has risen, that God has glorified him and given him the name above every name. So he's like, basically they're standing with this guy whose legs are able to walk. And he's like, this proves that Jesus is alive and that there is authority in his name. His name is above every other name. And it has made this man strong whom you see and no continues and says this and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you now what i think is so interesting when we think about faith sometimes people mistakenly think that faith heals people faith doesn't heal people jesus heals people okay let me say that again faith doesn't heal people Jesus heals people. It's faith in him. It's faith in his name. And there are actually two aspects to faith. Maybe I'll do a sermon on this at some point. But I noticed as I was reading the text that it actually references two kinds of faith. Faith in Jesus and faith through Jesus. I'll try to explain that in just a second. But um, there is this faith in Jesus and a faith through Jesus. By the way, have you noticed uh, it says that the man was healed by faith in Jesus. But it doesn't say whose faith it was. Think about it. Was it Peter's faith? Rise up and walk. Or was it the lame man's faith as he looked up and heard the name of Jesus and went, yeah. And whose faith was it? Was it both of their faith? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Right? And so sometimes people come and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't have, I don't have faith. I don't, I can't be. It's like, hang on a second. Faith in, faith through. Check this out. Oh yeah. And by the way, did anybody notice that when the man was healed last week, nobody prayed for him? What do we do when people are sick? We pray for them, which is a great thing to do. James says to pray for the sick. Let them call the elders. That's all good. But Peter, and most of the time, Jesus never prayed. They exercised authority in the name of Jesus. It's like, blind eyes, be open. It's like, wait, where's the prayer? <laughs> you know, like, is it your will? It's like, just open, because authority was there. So there's faith in and faith through. Now, this is interesting. I often talk about this, how in our lives and in our Christian faith, there are always these two aspects. There's our part and God's part. This is our part, and this is God's part. And this, this is in every area of our life. There's something that is required, and we'll talk about this later. 
We come to God in humility and repentance, and he transforms our heart. Those two pieces come together. Our part, his part. And when it comes to faith, we put our faith in Jesus to the best of our ability, and then we get faith through Jesus. So God comes and meets us in that moment and does something. And that's exactly how things work. We'll talk about that maybe in another message. But I just wanted to highlight that, that faith is more than just you. Because here's the thing. I've heard people say this makes me so mad. Well, you didn't get healed. You didn't have enough faith. Yeah, people say that. It's horrible. And what they're doing is they're saying it's all about this. You didn't have enough. But there's faith through Jesus. It's, a, it's, a, it's not about that. Faith doesn't heal people. Jesus does. And so we come to Jesus. Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Let's get to the good news so we can get through this. Uh, the good news, bad news, you killed Jesus. <laughs> You're guilty. The good news, he says this, and now brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He's like, yeah, you cried out, crucify him, but you had no idea what you're doing. In fact, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, they what? They, know not, they don't know what they're doing. If they really knew who I was, they would be terrified about putting me to death. Like, Jesus is like, this is ignorance. You did it, you're still guilty, but you did it out of ignorance. And then he continues and says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets... That this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter says, yep, you were ignorant, and God predicted this, knew it was coming. Christ walked into it willingly. This was all foretold by the prophets. And then here's the personal response. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance was a very important piece of Judaism. When people wronged, one another, when they broke the commands of God, they, they brought sacrifice to the temple and they offered it for the remission of their sins, to have it wiped away, to have their record expunged. And so they did this. And, and what Peter is saying is if you will repent because of your guilt and turn back, your sins would be blotted out, wiped away. So the good news is essentially this. The good news is that you can be forgiven. So bad news, you killed Jesus, you're guilty. The good news you can be forgiven. And this is, by the way, really, really good news. Now notice what he says in the next verse about forgiveness. He says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Times of refreshing. Um, have any of you ever carried around guilt, shame? Have you ever hurt somebody and just carried it for years? Anybody just give me a little wink or a nod. Okay, I'm seeing some people. I have. And I'll tell you something. There is a refreshing and a healing that comes when we finally confess. I've literally heard stories of people who got away with murder. And for years, nobody knew. And then they came forward and confessed. Why? Because their sin and their guilt was eating them up from the inside. And something incredible happens when we finally admit that we're guilty, when we admit that we're wrong, when we ask for repentance, when we come to God or others. There, have, you, you ever, have you ever experienced that you finally confess the truth and you share it with somebody and it hurts and it's hard and then you're like, oh, you feel like you've been carrying a 100-pound backpack and you've finally taken it off. Times of refreshing. And there's something powerful about repentance. We don't talk about repentance enough. Like, follow Jesus. You'll love him. But the scripture actually teaches that we have to repent. We have to acknowledge our own guilt. I remember the first time when I was a young man and I started studying the Bible for myself seriously. And I don't remember the passage, but I remember the moment. I was reading the Bible and it dawned on me that it wasn't the Jews that killed Jesus. It was my sin. It dawned on me that when Jesus went to the cross, he was carrying my lies, my failures, my rejection, 
He was carrying all of that for me and it hit me in a personal way and it brought me to repentance. I began to see for the first time in my life that I actually wasn't the good person that I thought I was. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, but this is the act of repentance that brings us forward into the grace of God. One of the things I've also noticed about uh, repentance, there's something about humility and repentance that is very, um, what would you call it? Um, can't think of the word, uh, you know, uh, contagious. That's the word, contagious. Uh, maybe some of you experience this. I've seen this happen at youth retreats, but I've also seen it in church services, you know. The band's up there, we love you, Jesus, we love you. And the kids are all like. And then one 13-year-old boy walks up and goes, since my dad died, I've been struggling with pornography, and I just need to tell everybody. And something breaks in the room, because for once someone's being honest and repentant. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, and, and, and then someone else is like, actually, I've got something I need to confess. And something else goes, I, need, I have something I need to confess. Hey, I've got this issue in my life. And kids start coming forward. There's tears. And it's like, it's like, there's this, it's like something breaks. And all the crap that people have been hiding in their hearts all comes to the surface. And they walk out of that place, you know, with dirty eyes and wet napkins. But there's a, a freedom and, a, and they're just light. The burden has been unpacked and they've received forgiveness and loved one another in spite of their brokenness. You with me? And that doesn't have to happen at youth retreat. It can. It can happen here in church. Something incredibly contagious happens when one person goes, yeah, I'm broken and messed up and I need God's forgiveness. I'm sorry. And everyone's like, I can do that too. And that's what we call revival. When people who used to be alive who are now near death, I, there's so many Christians that are like in the ambulance, they're like flatlining. And God wants to just pull, come back to life. That's called revival. When you revive something that was once alive. And revival doesn't happen because of a great band. It happens because people turn their hearts to God and fall on their knees and go, I'm guilty. You're my savior. I give it to you. I trust in you. And it changes absolutely everything. You guys with me? Yeah, we don't talk about this enough. Repentance. Brokenness. Let's continue. It says this uh, in the next passage. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Um, Peter's essentially saying Jesus rose and he's gone to heaven and he's going to come back and fulfill everything that you would expect him to do. So he's, he's giving them some context. And I'm just going to kind of go really quickly through these next four or five verses. Moses said, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me from your brothers. who will, You will listen to whatever he tells you. He's speaking of Jesus. And then he continues. He says, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He's like, your only hope is to trust in and obey Jesus. That there's no other way God has sent Jesus, receive him. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. It's amazing how often we go, oh, the good old days, or we go someday in the future. But Peter's like, today is the day of salvation. Today, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were waiting for this day when their sins could be wiped free, when they could trust in the Messiah, the Savior. And you can do that today. He's just bringing it all into the moment. And then he finishes with these last few verses. He says, you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God wanted to do something in this world and he wants to use broken people like you. He wants to use you to bring it about. And then he says this, God having raised up his servant, 
Jesus is alive. Sent him to you first. Even though the Jewish people rejected Jesus and sent him to the cross, God in his infinite mercy brought the message of salvation to his own people first. That's the kind of God we serve. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let me summarize. This is the question that they're asking. How did this happen? I wrote down a few notes. Let me summarize Peter's sermon in a few statements. How did this happen? Peter says, God sent his son to you, the author of life, and you killed him. God raised him from the dead, though, and glorified him, which is proved by the fact that this man is standing before you made whole. Through faith in the risen Jesus, whom the patriarchs and prophets foretold, this man has received new legs. Nice. Through faith in the risen Jesus, you can receive a new heart. You can receive new life. You can receive forgiveness and be made new. And if you turn to Jesus, your life will change because no one who receives Jesus ever walks away the same. And when people see your life, they will ask, how did this happen? And your answer and mine will be, it's because of Jesus. That's the answer. I want to close just by sharing a little bit of my own personal testimony and story. I've shared this before. Some of you will know it, but I was raised in a Christian home with Christian parents who loved Jesus. They loved Jesus too much, I thought. (laughs) We were in church a lot. We took vacation and went to conferences, you know. Uh, And my parents were always active in church. And uh, when I was about 12 years old, I had an older brother who was 16 at the time. And... He decided, for whatever reason in his heart, to reject everything he'd been taught and got into drugs and alcohol. And uh, my parents had to kick him out of the house at 16. And I remember, as a 12-year-old, hearing my parents crying in their room, wondering where he was. And it, I saw it, and I, I, made, I, I made a note to myself not to do that to them. I was like, I'm going to be the good kid. Do <laughs> so you ever read the prodigal son story? I'm the older brother, you know? in the story who stayed and did all the right stuff and then the prodigal kind of goes off and and so for my teenage years my brother wasn't around he was off doing his thing and it wasn't until i was about 18 we'd moved out of the city and my older brother was around 21 22 someone invited him to go to a church and he wore his rippedest rippedest jeans with his knees sticking out and his and he thought, I'm going to dress like this and the church is going to reject me. And he walked in and they loved him and accepted him. And God touched his heart and he gave his life back to Jesus. So then he comes to visit us. So big brother, wayward, off in the city, comes home to visit. And he comes in the door and he sits down with me and he's like, Hey, Nathan, where are you at with Jesus? And I just looked at him and I thought, you. I'm the good kid. I stayed in church. I went to youth group. I sang songs for seniors in a retirement home. I sang hymns. Did all of that. Went into the prison with my dad. Like, I'm the good Bible kid. And you're asking me about Jesus, but I didn't have an honest answer for him. And he's like, Jesus has changed my life. I'm like, what are you talking about? You? Remember one night he was visiting our home and uh, we had dinner and he's like, I, I got to go and do some stuff. I was like, Okay. He goes upstairs, closes the door, and I go up and I'm listening at the door, and he's in there with a guitar worshiping Jesus by himself. I'm like, who is this guy? Who is he? Because I don't know. And something broke in me because I realized in that moment I, I was not the perfect kid, that he had something with Jesus that I didn't have. And my prayer was simply this, God, if you can do a miracle like that in him and change him completely from the inside out, what could you do with me? 
And that's my question for you today. It's like, what are you going to do with this? Right? You're gonna, do you want to just come to church and sing some songs and hear about Jesus? Or do you want to know him? Do you want to experience him? Do you want to live for him? Are you willing to surrender everything and, and follow him? And I'm telling you, it's incredible what God can do through a life that is surrendered to him. And, and today, I want to just, I want to just pray with you. And, and maybe we'll call this a prayer of surrender where we just say, God, forgive me. I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm broken. I need you. And I believe that because you're good, you can do something in and through me. It's not about us. It's about him. And we just invite him to come and work through us. Is that cool? Would you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for every person listening to the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, that as we go from this place, we would go glimpsing maybe just a little more how much you love us and what you've done for us. Lord, help us to see our own sin. Help us to see our own guilt and shame and then take it and hand it over to you. You went to the cross to forgive us, to set us free, and we acknowledge it today. And God, we recognize that anything you would do in and through our lives is because you are good, because you are able, because you have authority. And we just ask you, God, would you work in and through us? Would you help us to be a light? salt in our families, in our schools, and in our community as we go from this place. Change us from the inside out, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.